ahead and get started. Um, so we're looking at Psalm 42 this morning, and um, this is a, a psalm uh, that talks about difficulties or distress, and if you haven't experienced a hardship, um, it's coming, but I think it's safe to say that for most of us, we've experienced at some point um, a hardship or a difficulty, and as you look in your scriptures, if you look in your Bibles, you'll see uh, countless examples of people um, or even groups of people who've experienced difficulties or hardships, and you don't have to look very far. Uh, you can see within your family, uh, those family members with going through difficulties perhaps or that have gone through difficulties. You look at your friends or your community that God's placed you in, and you don't have to look very far to see hurt and pain and um, people going through uh, difficult times. It's a, a universal thing that we all experience, right? Um, but how one encounters and endures these hardships is what matters. And as we look at the Psalms, we see the, the Psalms express a, a great deal of emotions, a wide range of, of different emotions, um, and they provide us with insight how to go through some of these different uh, things, whether it's um, grief or, or joy. Um, there's, there's many different um, emotions covered in, in the Psalms. But, so today, as we look at Psalm 42, we're, we're looking at hardship. We're looking at trials. And so be, as we get started, I kind of want you to notice about this Psalm, there's, there's a lot of similes in it. There's a lot of pictures, um, metaphors used throughout this psalm. And so as we go over them, sometimes I'll mention them, sometimes I won't, but they definitely add to um, what the psalmist is saying here. Um, and this psalm is organized into uh, two main sections. It's kind of it's kind of written like a hymn, almost like a, a several verses and then a chorus and then several verses again and then another chorus. So um, we're going to look at um, Psalm 42. Psalm 43, if you look in your Bibles, it doesn't really have um, a title, um, maybe you're, you've got a supplied title, but as far as the, uh, the manuscripts go, there's no title for Psalm 43, um, and there's a lot of similarities to Psalm 42 as well. And so we're not going to go over Psalm 43 this morning, but um, as, you, as you read, as you have time, um, it's kind of a companion psalm to it, and so I'd uh, just uh, like to mention that. Um, think, looking at titles... Um, Let's just quickly uh, look at, at the title here first. It says, your Bibles probably say something along the lines to the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah, or um, for the choir director, a maskil of the sons of Korah. And so that word contemplation or, or maskil is, um, the root word for that is to have success. It's to understand or to comprehend. So as we look at this psalm about difficulties, we want to keep that in mind. Um, this, this psalm is uh, designed to help us have success through those trials and difficulties in our life. And so we all also want to notice that um, it is from the sons of Korah. And if we had time, we'd go back and, and look at number 16, that um, we see Korah's rebellion. Um, but we don't have time for that today. But uh, Spurgeon says this about um, the, um, the sons of Korah here. And they were the spared ones of sovereign grace, preserved, we know not why, by the distinguishing favor of God. It may be surmised that after their 
remarkable election to mercy, they became so filled with gratitude that they addicted themselves to sacred music in order that their spared lives might be consecrated to the glory of God. At any rate, we who have been rescued as they were from going down into the pit out of the mere good pleasure of Jehovah can heartily join in this psalm and indeed in all the songs which show forth the praise of our God and the pantings of our hearts after him. So let's go ahead and look at verse 1. It says, As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. So our first picture, our first simile right away here is of a deer that's panting for the water, right? Um, I want to point out it's a picture of a deer. It's not a picture of another animal, another fierce animal. It's, a, it's an animal with no real ability to, to fight back. You know, we all know that if you, you corner a deer, it's going to hurt you. But it does, it's in the wild. It doesn't have a, a real defense mechanism. Um, the only defense that it has is to flee, right, to run. And um, the use of a deer, it sets the tone for us um, in this psalm as well, um, that, that idea of being helpless, um, unable to, to fight back. And so that kind of sets the tone for the remainder of the psalm. And um, it's not hard for us to imagine this picture, but... So we have no doubt the Hebrew word for pant here is to strongly desire something. Um, and this, uh, the verse says, as the deer pants for the water brooks. Um, the deer is panting for something that's cool, that's clean, that's going to satisfy its thirst, right? <clears throat> the psalmist uses this picture to describe his thirst or his, de his desire for God and it really begs the question, uh, what is your desire or where is your desire? What's, what's you, what do you place your worship in? Um, when we look at the psalm, we see, um, we see this theme of worship come up time and time again, whether it's in this psalm or in psalms before or psalms after. Uh, this idea of worship is found uh, throughout the psalms, and it's because of how big of an impact uh, worship has in our life. And... We see that we are, as God created us, designed. Um, he created us and designed us to worship. But when we try and satisfy our thirst in water that's tainted and dirty um, or place our worship on things that can't satisfy, we find ourselves in a world of disappointment, hurt, um, and unfulfilled worship. And so God's designed us for, um, for his pleasure, for his good purpose. But when we try to uh, fill our worship with something else besides him, um, you, you fill in the blank, right? Uh, it's not going to satisfy. And you see that in the world, people running from one thing to the next, trying to satisfy this desire that they have. Um, it's never going to be fulfilled until they put their trust, their faith, their hope in the person and work of Christ. So let's, let's go um, continue on in Psalm 42, verse 2. It says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So whether the writer is being led away into captive, um, into captivity or fleeing, it's not really known. Um, you can kind of make arguments for both, but the writer describes God as the living God in stark contrast to the unbelieving all around him who worshiped and served gods made by their own hands from wood, stone, and, and metal. And so here he says, when 
shall I come and appear before God, before the living God? And um, something just uh, I thought was really neat and really interesting. When we look at the Psalms, uh, the, first, the first book of the Psalms, Psalms 1 through 41, um, Yahweh, the kind of the ultimate name for God, the all-encompassing name for God, um, the name that the Israelites revered so much that they wouldn't really even say it. Um, that's used in the first book. In the second book, uh, more predominantly used is Elohim, or El for God. And it's um, when it's used in the plural form, like it is in this chapter, it's used and it's understood as ex expressing intensity. And so um, an intensity over creation, over the created world, the created order. And so when we look at this, when the psalmist says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God, and he's in whether he's in exile or captivity, he sees these false gods all around him, and he's, he's saying, well, when shall I come and appear before my God, my God who created all these things, not these worthless gods who can't hear, who can't do anything. And so he has this, this uh, cry to God. <clears throat> the writer thinks about his living God as he asks his first question, when shall I come and appear before God? You see, this is the, the natural progression of a soul that thirsts for God. We see this command to appear before God in Exodus 23, 14 through 17. Um, if you guys just want to turn there real quick, Exodus 23, verses 14 through 17. And so a soul that thirsts for God will will want to appear before God. And so this, uh, read these few verses here. Three times a year, you shall celebrate a feast to me. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the appointed time in the month of Bib. For in it you came out of Egypt and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Also you shall observe the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labors from what you sow in the field, also the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in fruit of your labors from the field. Three times a year, all your mouths shall appear before the Lord God. So this is, this is what this writer was longing to do, thirsting to do, is to appear before God. He knew the way to Jerusalem. He knew where Jerusalem was. He knew the times that he should appear. But as an exile, he wasn't able to satisfy that thirst of appearing before God. And so we see, see that longing made all the more extreme because of the fact that he couldn't. The writer was powerless to change his situation. We see him calling out to God, asking, when shall I come and appear before you? And I, I uh, used this example this, this spring. I was out in our fields, and we had to get some water down. And I, had, I didn't bring any fresh water out, out with me. And looking at this dirty river water flowing by, um, it's, it's amazing how thirsty you get when you're just standing by something, some clean or not clean cold water. Uh, you, you, you could drink it, but you'd get pretty sick, wouldn't you? Um, and you, that thirst is it's, it's not quenched until you get a, a good drink of cold water. Um, and that's what the psalmist is. He, he knows each time this, a different feast comes by, he knows where he wants to be, where he's supposed to be. Um, but he's not able to, to be there because of this exile. Um, so let's continue on uh, back in Psalm 42. 
Verse 3, it says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? Here's another picture. Um, Sorrow is this man's portion. And I want you guys to notice as well the day and night reference here. Um, We're going to make note of it because we're going to see it again in this psalm. And um, in the remainder of this verse, though, we see the unbelievers taunt, where is your God? So they got all their gods around them, but where's your God? Where is he to help you? Um, And the taunt is, it's, it's painful as it is, but perhaps made all the more painful by this person's, this psalmist's own misgivings. <clears throat> His own thoughts of where, where is my God? And oftentimes when we go through difficulties and trials, it's, it's easy to ask, isn't it? God, where are you? How come you're not here helping me through this? Um, let's go ahead and go to jump to verse 4. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. So we come back to this, this scene of temple worship, and we observe the longing that the psalmist has to be back at this place of worship and blessing. And we see three things mentioned here. We see... We see the psalmist's worship, we see his fellowship, and we see his obedience. When these things cease to exist in your life, what you find is that you start to become spiritually apathetic, lethargic, and, and depressed in your heart. Isolation from the body of Christ drives depression deeper into the soul, and the best depression best remedy for the depressed soul is being with the body of Christ and to be involved in corporate worship. This is the environment where your eyes are turned from yourself and placed upon the Savior. You know, we often cite uh, Hebrews 10.25 as kind of like a mandatory uh, church um, attention or attendance verse, um, but we miss the, the bigger picture if that's all we're using that verse for. Um, it says, uh, this is Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, it's not just the the singing and the sermon um, that we're to assemble together for. It is this, this stirring up of love and good works, it's exhortation. It's not just going to get encouraged or maybe you're going to encourage someone, um, but it is the mutual edification of the body of Christ. Let's continue on, Psalm 42, verse 5. It says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. So we're just going to look at the first half of this verse right now. Um, the word cast down is to despair. Um, and when we, when we look at the next, um, the next word, disquieted, um, that's that turmoil that's in your soul. Your soul is not at rest anymore. 
uh, when you think about that um, in the daytime when you're uh, cast down. Uh, you're thinking about your troubles, right? And at nighttime when you can't fall asleep because you are thinking about all the things that are going on in your life. Um, that's what the psalmist is going through. Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. So um, I just want to real quick share um, before we go on with the next verse, hope in God. Hope is waiting for God to act. It's not, it's not a hope that the, the world would talk about, but it's waiting upon God to act. And um, we'll, so we're going to look at that um, more once we get to verse 11. Um, but we'll go ahead and continue on. Psalm 42, 6, it says, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. As we begin this verse, the first thing we want to notice is that the psalmist gives voice to the despair, to the being cast down. Uh, some translators have put deeply depressed or, or deeply discouraged. It is that which has caused the soul to be cast down. This is something that we see the writers of the psalm do time and time again. As they pour out their hearts before God, they tell, they tell God specifically what they're going through. And it's a crucial step that we need to take in our lives as we, as we deal with our emotions. We need to clearly identify that our soul is in despair and what has caused our soul to be cast down. That is the first step, clearly identifying what is causing our souls to be cast down. So naming that thing that is causing you despair. The second is to give voice to this, this despair as we bring it before our Father. So it's not just figuring out what's causing it, but then it's bringing it to somebody who can do something about it, right? Um, so we are giving our emotions a name. Emotions just don't come completely random. They are rooted in actions, thoughts, encounters. Sometimes they are the result of external forces, and sometimes they are a result of internal matters. But whatever it is that is troubling our hearts, we are to identify it and bring it before our Heavenly Father. If we're willing to do these two things with an honest and open heart to God, we are well on our way to finding peace. But all too often, don't we try and skip these steps? And why is that? Why do we try and skip these, these steps of um, addressing, naming what is going on in our life and then bringing it to God? Um, it could be that we haven't identified what's causing our distress. We're choosing to let our emotions rule and reign in our lives. And obviously we know that emotions aren't wrong um, or bad, but emotion that is rooted in wickedness shouldn't be allowed to rule and reign in our hearts and lives. And when we think about this type of emotion that's not willing to address um, the, the root, um, we, we think of our children, right? And we help them. We, we walk them through uh, what's going on. Um, and so it's, it's part of parenting. And as parents, we need that wisdom to, to be able to properly address those, those things that they're going through. Um, but the second reason we choose not to identify and give voice to our distress is because we are afraid of the answer that God has for us. 
You see, more often than not, we already know the answer, but we are refusing to submit to the authority of God in our lives. We want things to be different. We want to say, but God? It comes down to the fact that we don't want to hear, like Paul heard in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where he says about his thorn in the flesh that my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. It comes down to the fact that we don't like the direction that God is taking our lives, so we try to shut it out, don't we? <clears throat> Let's read verse 6 again. It says, Oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, and from the hill Mizar. So whether this writer has been taken captive or is being led, and being, and is being led by these landmarks or whether the writer is in exile and has fled to these places is hard to be certain about. But what is sure is that the, re the writer remembers his God and is in despair because of the separation he is experiencing. When you look at these locations, the first two are understandable. Um, we, we can find them on a map, and we can see that they're, they're pretty amazing landmarks. They, they mean a lot to the uh, child of, of Israel. Um, but what about this, this third one, this hill Mazar? When we look at it, we, we struggle to find anything at all. The Hebrew mizar means small, so it could be translated a small hill. <coughs> and unlike the land of the Jordan and the mounts of Hermon, the hill mizar is likely unknown to most of the nation, but unknown as it is, it is not insignificant. Because the hill mizar represents God's very personal care and concern in the life of the psalmist. This is a time where God has worked in a special way in the psalmist's life where the all-powerful God, he bends down and, and singles you out. You know, when you do that as a, as a parent to your child, there's all these other distractions, but when you bend down to your child, they know that you're talking to them. They know that you have, they have your full attention, right? And this is what God is doing at this Hill Mazar. Um, he remembers his personal care in the face of the despair that he is experiencing. What about you and me? God has a therefore for us as well. Our therefore is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. What greater victory is there than the victory over sin and death? And what greater blessings are there than those given to us by our Heavenly Father? Ephesians 1.3 talks about the blessings that we've been blessed with. Uh, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, heavenlies in Christ Jesus. The fact that God loves you and me and offers us all salvation through Jesus Christ is something that is absolutely amazing and that we can all lay hold of. Something that we can all choose to remember. But God doesn't stop there. He wants to have a personal relationship with you where he will do his work in and through us. A relationship where he stoops down to you alone and gives you your own hill mazar. Something uh, our pastor at home told us, and probably your pastor as well, is that God is preparing us 
today for the tests and trials of tomorrow. This is what the psalmist is doing in bringing to remembrance these things. And we do well when we recognize and treasure God's leading and working and blessing in our lives. Let's go ahead and um, look at verse 7. Psalm 42, 7 says, Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. I want to observe that the Hebrew word for deep is to home, which can be translated as a flood, a flood, a deluge, an ocean, a deep, something that's coming up. Um, when we look at the 36 times it's used, you're left with no doubt about the sense of the word, especially when it's used in a figurative sense like it is here. The psalmist is completely overwhelmed by the weight of the circumstances that he is in, as if it were like a flood had come upon him. God is sending the rains that are causing one overwhelming circumstance after another. Deep calls to deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have passed over me. This is a hard place to be. The idea of this language is that one overwhelming circumstance calls the next. There isn't a break or reprieve from one trial to the next. I want to also draw your attention to how the psalmist uses the water from the first stanza to the second. What we see in verse 1, the deer pants for the water brooks, right? Uh, a clear, clean, flowing water, a brook of water where you can be refreshed, where you can satisfy your thirst. And here we have these overwhelming floods. Um, it's no mistake that it's, it's like this, uh, that the psalmist has put it this way. <clears throat> because God will bring into your life situations and circumstances that completely satisfy your soul, but he will also bring into your life situations in which you are tossed all about and that seem completely overwhelming with no way out. Let's go ahead and continue on. Verse 8. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So the same God that tosses us all about and sends us circumstances that seem completely overwhelming is the very same God that commands his loving kindness in the daytime and who gives us his song in the night. There's an interesting word used in the verse here, and it's the word command. It's an interesting word because it's a military word. It's a military term. It's a word used by someone who is in charge, perhaps by a general or a commander. And when we see here, we see God, the great commander, is sending out his loving kindness. It never ends. It marches on and on on. Let's go ahead and turn over to Psalm 118. Psalm 118. I'll just read a few verses here. I think you'll get the picture pretty quick. Starting at verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. 
<clears throat> Verse 2, let Israel now say, his mercy endures forever. Verse 3, let the house of Aaron now say, his mercy endures forever. Verse 4, let those who fear the Lord now say, his mercy endures forever. Verse 29, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy, his loving kindness endures forever. No matter how dark the night or how high the flood might rise, what you experience in the darkness doesn't change what God has shown you in the light. The afflictions you're experiencing or <clears throat> the afflictions you will experience don't change who God is, and nor do they change his promises to you. So that's something we need to remember when we go through these uh, trying, difficult times. What God has shown us in the light, do not forget in the night. As we continue on, and in the night, his song will be with me. Have you ever laid awake at night because your mind is racing with the, the situations that you find yourself in? If your soul has been in a dark place, then you know that in those times, the physical darkness of the night seems that much more heavy and oppressive. God is the great commander of loving kindness, and he gives us his song in the night. So when you are going through those dark times, when you're going through those difficult times, especially at night, start singing the song that God puts in your heart. Take his songs one at a time and just dwell on them. Just just simply listing the titles, we find comfort and peace. Great is thy faithfulness. How great thou art. <coughs> A friend I have called Jesus, whose love is strong and true. You get the idea? What you're going through doesn't change who God is. Paul Tripp said, this of the song of the night. Do you light the candle of praise to drive away the darkness of the soul? As we continue on, a prayer to the God of my life. <clears throat> we need to remember that God is always ready to listen. He truly hears when we go to him. We have access to God through prayer. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful truth and a wonderful promise that he he has given us, um, and a dear believer shared with me that well, he was going through an especially dark time in his life, and the only thing he could pray was, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. You see, it's not, not in how eloquent we pray or the length of our prayers that matter. It is remembering that God is always there, and God always hears even when all you can say is, Jesus, help me. Go on verse 9 and 10. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, mine enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? So in the first half of the stanza, we have God working and causing us to go through difficult situations. And in the second half, we have once again a reminder of the reproaches and taunts of the enemy of God. 
it's difficult to go through the dark and deep waters of verse 7, but when God calls us into the presence of the enemy, where it seems that God is silent, it is one of the most difficult things we face. It is difficult because we know that God is choosing to allow this. And second, it puts us in the place of extending forgiveness to those who have wronged us. It is difficult for us to see wickedness, the wickedness of our oppressors, and not call upon God to judge them, isn't it? We need to remember where we came from and how God had to do a mighty work in our hearts and how God was long-suffering to us. God doesn't simply allow us to be surrounded by the enemy so that we can just be oppressed and afflicted. God has a plan and a purpose so much greater than that. God allows you to be persecuted so the lost will have an opportunity to see the love of God in and through you. So as we continue, the question that begs asking is, how can we have hope in this? Where is, where is the redemption in all of this? <clears throat> so Psalm 42, verse 11, Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance, and my God. One of the things I like about this in the Hebrew uh, is the word for help. Yeshuot, um, and it's taken from Yeshua, which we all know as salvation, but Yeshuot is in the plural. So it has in mind not just a, not just a one-time saving act, but multiple saving acts, one upon the other. And it's not limited in scope or time. We have a great God who will always be there to help us. And this is the God that we are to place our hope in. I will choose to praise God because he will save me. And I mentioned this before, but you know, this was a, a quote from uh, Pastor Matt Morell. He said, hope is waiting for God to act. Hope is waiting for God to act. Our salvation from our situations is not a matter of if, is only a matter of waiting for God to act. We have that hope. Hope because we have a great Savior who went through these difficulties so we don't have to. I don't mean that we're not going to go through these dark, difficult, and hard times, but as you take a step back with me and look at this psalm from another perspective, you, I think you'll understand what I'm talking about. Look at it with me through the perspective of Christ on the cross. In John 19, 28, Jesus said, I thirst. Psalm 42, 2, my soul thirsts. In John 12, Jesus had just gone into Jerusalem to celebrate the feast with the disciples and with the voice of joy and praise, Hosanna in the highest. And in Psalm 42, 4, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Uh, Luke 22, verses 29 through 34, um, Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Psalm 42, 7 
We read, deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. In Mark 15, 29 through 32, those who passed by, the chief priests, and even those who were crucified with him, mocked, ridiculed, and reviled him. Psalm 42, 3, 9, and 10, my tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of men me, as with the breaking of my bones? My enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? And then Matthew 27, 46, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 42, 9 says, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? You see, in Psalm 42, verses 5 and 11, we're told to place our hope in God, not because God is going to pull us out of these situations and circumstances the moment we ask him, but because he has already been there before us, and he comes alongside us, and as Isaiah says, he carries our griefs, He carries our sorrows and our griefs he himself bore. It is the truth that Christ can redeem these circumstances and use them for his glory as we wait for God to act. This is why we hope in God. Okay, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to be together this morning. We thank you for this psalm. Uh, We just thank you for um, just the, the truths found in it for the promises of your word, Father. Um, We thank you that you've gone before us and you come alongside. Uh, You carry our our burdens. You bear our sorrows, Father. Um, And Father, we just thank you that we have a great God that we can go to uh, in any situation. Um, And I pray that we wouldn't um, neglect to avail ourselves to uh, your precious promises and that we'd find ourselves trusting in you um, and just relying on, on your provision uh, for us each day. So we just thank you for, uh, again, for just the opportunity to be here to, today with this uh, group of believers, and I just pray that uh, you'd bless us as we go this week in your strength, Father, um, and we just pray that we'd be the salt and light that you'd have us to be. And so we pray these things now in Jesus' name.